Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. We are here Saturday evening after AEW's Double or Nothing show. Going to bring on Jason Hagholm in a second, but just wanted to mention that um, after I bring on Jason, going to also bring on uh, John LaRocca to do our We Want Flair segment, so you'll get... You'll get a dose of Jason, you'll get a dose of John, and uh, let's get going. Jason, what's up? Well, not much, Double G. Uh, Just finished a pretty exciting and entertaining AEW pay-per-view. You know, it's been a rough week in the realm of pro wrestling with some really sad stories and reliving one of the saddest stories with the dark side of the ring, but this pay-per-view really part of smile on my face and i think a lot of people felt the same way about this show yeah it is uh, i think today is what the 21st anniversary of the death of owen hart yep and then um john and i mentioned shad on friday's show the uh shad gaspard who passed away um essentially saving his son from uh from drowning um, and then we got word yesterday that Hana Kimura passed away as well uh, from stardom. And that was a rough one because, you know, whenever you think about any sort of um, depression or frustration or social media bullying or whatever, I think we kind of like just think, ah, oh, you know, she'll be OK or he'll be OK. Like you just kind of got to power through it or whatever. And then, you know, because I'd, I'd seen some stuff earlier in the day, and then later in the evening, we just got word that she was gone. I was like, what the hell happened? I, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, it was a story that broke really late. And, uh, I mean, I was up when that happened. Uh, it broke around, like, 2 Eastern or 2.30 in the morning here. And just really sad, like, someone as talented as she was and only 22 years old and... I mean, I think it really, once again, brings to light just how big of an issue uh, cyberbullying really is because uh, people take what those comments are. And the thing with cyberbullying is if you had a bully in school or whatever, you can obviously, you know, you go home and you can avoid him for hours. These comments are just with you all the time. You can't avoid them. And it just makes this story extra sad. Yeah. So. I personally, uh, I think I had seen her wrestle um, once because I think she wrestled at the G1 show at Madison Square Garden uh, uh, last year, and I was there. But I, I, I don't watch Stardom, um, so I did. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't too familiar with her work, but 
just uh, I, I had actually had a friend of mine reach out to me, not because he knew her as a wrestler, but because he watched the reality show Terrace House. And so that's how he knew about her. So, you know, multiple people had reached out to me, some from the wrestling side and then some from uh, watching that show. So I, I wasn't even aware uh, of that show until I saw some clips. And then there was the clip of uh, her ring gear getting messed up in the wash and and her kind of uh, getting upset at that. And I think that may have been one of the things that caused uh, people to get upset at her or whatever. But yeah, just such a sad story. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I, 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 whenever I think about this, I think back to Morrow. Because Mauro Ranello, uh, you know, he did a documentary about about his bipolarity and, you know, really just a brave thing for him to do because it just brings to light more about what he has to deal with uh, every day. And so, you know, just makes me, you know, think of the people who, you know, who may need someone to reach out to or whatever. And, 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 uh, it's sad that, uh, that that happened. And hopefully, um, you know, hope, I'm not saying that anything good can come out of it, but hopefully some people realize, you know, that this, so even though social media, you're sort of an, an anonymous and you can kind of just yell at people like, this is, this is a, uh, this is a little bit more real than that. So, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, sort of frustrating to, to hear and really sad. And she was only 22 and uh, I don't know what we learned from this, but just uh, hopefully something, hopefully some people look in the mirror and, and, and can, can change the way that they, they utilize social media. Yeah. I mean, think the moral of the story in this one is people need to be better and use social media better because uh, those comments that you think don't have any impact, they have tons of impact. Okay. So didn't mean to start it off on a sad note, but, you know, I, we dedicated Friday's show to Shad and, you know, don't want to make that a thing here, but I, I do want, you know, I, I am thinking about that situation as, as we talk about this show. So she she's uh, still at, on my mind and, um, you know, just this, you said the whole week has been kind of screwy and, and sad and frustrating. Um, okay, so let's talk about this AEW show. I think I saw Brian Alvarez say that for three and a half hours, he forgot all about the craziness uh, of what's going on in the world. And I think that's, a, that's about as good of a recommendation as you can get these days, because we're all in this reality with the coronavirus and being quarantined and stuck at home, even though, I don't know, there's some... There's some counties that are kind of wilding out a little bit too much for my taste. But um, the uh, the show, I wasn't as high on it as he was. I thought it was uh, a slight thumbs up heading into the main event. I think the main event made it a full thumbs up, a clear thumbs up. But what, what were your overall thoughts when you were done watching? Well, I think everyone, uh, the main event definitely was just spectacular, especially uh, a multi-man match filmed in a football stadium uh, in advance. Uh, just so many things to take away from it. And, and I thought they edited it up and spliced it up nicely. Uh, but overall, like I thought the show started off pretty strong and had a lull after the TNT championship match for a bit. But I thought once we got back to the women's championship match, this card picked right back up and all the talent on this show really brought it. And 
I would agree with Brian Alvarez's statement that the three and a half hours we forgot about all the bad news of the week and all this coronavirus stuff and kind of just got to focus on a wrestling pay-per-view and I thought AEW did an excellent job okay did you watch the pre-show match with private party and best friends I did how was it I thought it was a pretty good you know back and forth match uh I mean it was a long match normally uh, for those countdown shows, your match is like maybe 5 to 10 minutes. This was around 15 to 20. This ate up a big portion of the uh, pre-show, which, you know, I, I was okay with. They build this up as a number one contenders match. Uh, I thought, you know, there was some good back and forth action. And then uh, we had the best friends come away with the win and they booked themselves as the number one contenders and you know it's the team that's getting momentum going so i was in and out on this match i watched enough of it to have an idea of what was going on i liked the private parties um shout out to crime time yes i thought that was i thought that was very nicely done i guess the thing that i that i struggle with when it comes to private party is they are so busy remembering what they're supposed to do that they walk through stuff and they forget and you know that the, that's they're they're still you know very young in the business and 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 this is something that they will absolutely get better at but there are organic moments in in the match that they need to recognize but sometimes they are very much trying to memorize what they're going to do next and they're trying to get to a certain spot and it's kind of like that's great you need to get to that spot but there's stuff happening as you're going and i think sometimes they miss out on that stuff i mean yeah that tends to be a a lot of things as well with some of these younger teams and younger talents in the businesses that they're doing too much of a formulaic match instead of just kind of feeling it out and it's also tough now with not a real crowd there with a lot of talent being the crowd i guess uh but yeah there's moments where you're like uh maybe they could get to things a little bit better but nonetheless uh i was i was maybe thought it was gonna be a little bit more upset that private party didn't win this match but i thought uh best friends is a team that's kind of been picking up steam on uh, dynamite the past few weeks and i'm okay with them getting the win here so Taz leaves the announcing booth with Excalibur, and then Excalibur is joined by Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross for the main show. But Taz would uh, would, would be a part of the show in about a half an hour from the start. So that led us to the casino ladder match. And I will say that the intrigue for me was Darby Allen and Scorpio Sky and whoever the mystery person was going to be. Uh, it ended up being Brian Cage. I thought that was strong. Brian Cage is uh, is a solid addition to this roster. The, the match was too goofy for me. This was like a... Um, the, the, there was definitely an emphasis uh, on Orange Cassidy not understanding the rules there was uh, a lot of focus on Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. And, you know, those guys are uh, at least Kip's. I, I, I don't mind Kip, though. He's he's pushed very poorly. I, I'm not a fan of Jimmy Havoc. I just don't get him at all. But when you focus on 
acts that don't really get over on TV as the opener of your pay-per-view, unless they're doing just like great work, I'm just lost because to me, Kip Sabian is, is, uh, is, you know, he's, he, he is the side piece to, to Penelope Ford right now, based on how they book him on TV. Jimmy Havoc came in to help him and I'm, this like I'm out on that guy, and then Orange Cassidy's doing goofy stuff. So to me, the focus was not on enough of what I like in this match, and, and more on that that other stuff. But just to kind of go through it, so Kazarian and Scorpion Sky are the first two in. They're you know they're they're kind of uh, they're kind of uh, uh, it's it's a draw between them for the first two minutes. They bonk heads right before Kip Sabian comes in and Jimmy Havoc and uh, joins Sabian and and they kind of double team on the SCU members. Um, Darby Allen comes in. He does one of the dumbest things I've seen a babyface do in a very long time. He goes like I mean his character is so cool. So this is why it frustrated me that that they made him look silly, which was. He he fires up, he throws the uh, skateboard, and I think he hits Kazarian with the skateboard, and he climbs this really high ladder that's outside of the ring, and I'm not sure what he's doing because uh, Kazarian isn't, like, laid out in any way. He's just kind of on the floor, so I'm like, what is he going to do? So he jumps with his skateboard and he lands on his skateboard on the ladder with no Frankie Kazarian. And this was a, a, a part of the match to kind of take him out of it for a little while. But I don't know if he's the right guy to take out of this match. I think they I think this match needed a lot of Darby Allen and he was out of like almost the entire middle part of the match. What did you think about him uh, in this match? I think, yeah, there was definitely not enough Darby because he's being like focused as one of the top up and coming baby faces. And that, that Tony Hawk pro skater spot didn't really do anything for me. I'm like, also your knees and your ankles are destroyed. Yeah. My only, my issue with this match was when they were like presenting it as you could be entrance one and two and you could end the match right then and there. Yeah, that, that I was, was like, kind of silly. what is that? Like, if you're going to have a ladder match with a multi-people, then they all need to be out there. Like, why would you have it that way? I, I just didn't get that. Honestly, this match was... I'm just sick of ladder matches in this environment because the risks are too much for the talent. Like, this company right now is dealing with a handful of injuries and... Darby Allen to be out with like a ankle or a knee injury, what have you, wouldn't be a great thing to have. And just the risk is too much for the talent. And you need a, a crowd with an audience, a paid audience, to ooh and ah at the insane spots. And there weren't even enough of them in this one, which was is good safety-wise now, but it just missed some of that element. I mean, the big hook, I guess, was the mystery man who as you said was number nine was brian cage the former impact champion so he he'll fit in well with this roster but this was they were just kind of going through the motions up yeah. until we got towards the end so orange cassidy is fifth doesn't know how to climb the ladder doesn't know how to fit you know doesn't know what the object of the match is which is just like okay but you know let's throw all logic out the window because that means that uh, you know, even though I, his gimmick is is uh, 
lazy, I guess, sloth-like. Yeah, he's uh, lazy. He also has never seen a ladder match in his entire life. Um, Colt Cabana came out. Uh, then uh, Joy Janela came out. I thought I thought Janela showed some fire that uh, was was needed for this match. Uh, Lucha, Luchasaurus was next. Finally, Darby tar, Darby joins the living again, and he gives Luchasaurus a code red from the top rope. And then Brian Cage comes in last. He gets the Andre the Giant spot in that uh, he starts raising hell. And then the competitors realize that he's this giant human being, and they like quadruple and nine tuple team him. And um, <laughs> I thought this was kind of odd. Is they dump him underneath the barricade, a ladder, and one of the big poker chips, and he just lays there for like eight minutes before yeah. he rises from the dead. Yeah, like, I thought that was a little weird for introducing a new talent. Like, yes, obviously, you had to, they made him up as a monster, and everyone buried him, or not buried him, but went after him. But then, as you said, they put all this debris on top of him, and he just stayed there until the end when he came in and basically did what he had to do and, uh, you know, captured the the big chip above the ring the big chip he and luchasaurus went at it which was a, which was pretty fun they, they, had a, they had a nice little back and forth uh in a very silly spot and this is this is sort of what i mentioned about the private party thing is um cage was going to do this very impressive thing in that he laid darby allen onto the ladder which was lying on top of the top turnbuckle in the corner. And so Darby Allen's trying to get onto this ladder and he slips and falls. And then Cage, instead of Darby letting Darby Allen just fall so that he can climb the ladder and win the match, he puts Darby Allen back on so that he can press slam the ladder with Darby on it to then uh, be the last main spot to press slam him over the top, and then he he got the chip. You know that that there's a lack of. Um, I, I get I get the idea of this is his his moment to shine, and he wants to do all of the things that he wanted to do. But it was a little bit of silly from a, a logic standpoint that uh, he just did not let darby fall and and go and get the thing i don't know it was weird this is kind of a uh, it was it was an okay ending but that thing kind of just it was a little bit of a s- slow air going out of the tire for me yeah that was that was odd but i mean hey in today's wrestling i guess everyone's got to get their spots in or, or showcase new things here about brian cage who is an amazing looking specimen and a very agile man and i think as well with now cage being here in the th- company aw's got themselves a little hoss division you have Brody lee brian cage uh a handful of big men that can really work in this company and i'm excited to see where it goes and obviously now cage winning the this match he's now next in line for a title shot yeah he is going to get it at fighter fest which uh i believe i saw a tweet from um from dave Meltzer said it was going to be originally it was going to be their first uk show in london and obviously now it's not going to be in london it's it's going to be in jacksonville but uh yeah he gets the title shot at uh, moxley for the fighter fest show yeah it would be interesting because we they announced their next pay-per-view which is uh, i guess all out three in September. And I remember last year, these shows were 
pretty much free shows. I wonder if that'll be the same mentality uh, going on in as the summer continues. All right, before we get to one of my favorite matches, I uh, just want to quickly talk about our friends at uh, Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. NASCAR did a pretty big rating the other day, too. Uh, you can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and, US, and UFC events. 24 7 you can participate in the ten thousand dollar madden bracket challenge a march madness style nfl simulation tournament that you can enter for free and live right now on bet online's youtube channel you can find an exclusive interview with ex-chicago bulls ron harper horace grant bill cartwright and craig hodges to discuss the michael jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance Jason, Horace Grant, snitch or not a snitch? Well, if Michael Jordan says he's a snitch, he's a snitch. <laughs> uh, visit to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. By the way, I also think uh, Phil Phil Jackson was probably a pretty big source for uh, for Sam Smith on the Jordan rules. So it's not it wasn't only it wasn't only Horace <laughs> for sure for sure. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Jungle Boy and MJF. I think this was still my favorite match. Uh, the Stampede, the main event. It was more of a spectacle and it was very entertaining. But for a wrestling match, I think this was my favorite of the night. And uh, part of the reason, I think, uh, and, you know, Cody has said in the past that they don't really look at things in in the lens of babyface and heel. Like, they don't really think of it that way. I, and I may be misquoting exactly how he said it, but it was there, there was something about, you know, that they're not sort of thinking in the traditional sense of babyface and heel. And I thought that the reason why this match worked so well, in addition to both of these guys just being on their A games, was because there was a clear babyface and a clear heel. Jungle Boy is a great babyface. MJF is a fantastic heel. And they got to go out, and I think the match was like 17 minutes or something. Or, uh, but but they, went, they, they went out, and they had a match that told a story uh, that there wasn't a lot of pandering to the, uh, to the crowd or to the non you know very few crowd that maybe there was one spot where they did the uh the bouillets with the strikes so i was like oh, okay like that works when you have a gigantic uh, live crowd doesn't work so much when you have 50 people but um just uh yeah just tremendous uh athletic um uh jungle boy you know he is uh he is so he he is so much better as a wrestler than uh than he's ever been and and you know it's really just and th- that's a kind of a stupid statement but the idea is like you know we, we all thought okay jungle boy's got he's like this this piece of clay and he's going to mold himself into this really good wrestler and he is already a really good wrestler like it's just amazing the strides that he's taken and i think people were kind of like you know yeah you know mjf can talk but you know what about the ring part of it like 
is he even a good wrestler? And it was almost like MJF was like, okay, I'm going to show everybody today what I have. They were both so good in this match. Um, I think everyone thought MJF was going to win, and, and he did win in, in the end there. But I was just, I was just blown away by how good these guys were. These two have some serious chemistry, and I think it shows the depth that AEW has when you have talent like MJF and Jungle Boy who are in their mid-20s that are putting on high-quality matches like that. Imagine them in another five years. Like, AEW's in a good place with the with some of their young and up-and-coming talent. But, like, I've seen MJF wrestle in person a couple times and obviously here in AEW, and I've always thought this guy's really impressive, but more his ability to work a crowd and cut a promo is more what you're going to remember seeing MJF for. Uh, but tonight he showed this guy can really wrestle and wrestle at such a high level. Like the best way to describe this match was it was kind of like an old school, like WCW power hour match with some hints and spices of new school stuff uh, in here. I just thought they gelled so well. They told a pretty good story as well. And, and to your point, I think these matches with MJF are getting much more recognition because he is such a good heel, but he's proving he's the complete package right now. The The only thing that was fairly recognizable here is that he's lost a little bit of size in these quarantine days. I don't think, I, 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 don't, I don't think he's been able to uh, work out as, as heavy at the, at the rats houses uh, during this time. Uh, so, um, Lance Archer and Cody Rhodes for this TNT belt. What were your thoughts on this belt, the way the belt looked? Well, when I first saw the picture of Mike Tyson with it, I'm like, this isn't a bad looking belt. And then when you saw it in person, you're like, it's pretty bland. Yeah. But thankfully, Tony Schiavone was like, due to coronavirus and things being shut down, like some gold plating hasn't been added to it. It will be added. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that will hopefully make it look a lot better. This looks so bland. Yeah, it was pretty bland. I, I like the old school look of it. I like the simplistic look of it. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the I'm sure they'll, they'll fix it up a little bit. So uh, our boy, Mike Tyson, he, he was on this show. He came out. He was wearing his uh, his shirt, his double or nothing shirt. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson is he fifty? Uh, he has to be around his fifties. Yeah. So uh, you know, you're talking about a guy who the prime of his career was in the late '80s and early '90s, and it is now. Um, He's fifty three. Almost thirty years later. Oh, more than 30 years later from when he first started. And the dude still is in really good shape. Like he's in maybe the best shape I've seen him in, in, in maybe since he retired from boxing and, um, you know, the, all those videos of him hitting the bag and hitting the mitts and stuff like that stuff is, has gone viral. But when you, when he took off his shirt, you know, he, he wasn't as gigantic and, and ripped as he was in his prime when he was in his like 20s and early 30s, of course. And he was also, you know, I'm sure he was taking his medicine back then, but he looked in, he looked great. Like just, just really like what 53 year old dude looks like that without a shirt. I was, I was uh, pretty impressed with, with one uh, Iron Mike. Um, he played a little bit of a part in this match. Uh, he, 
uh, there's probably some memes around go of him yawning during the match, which is like, good job, uh, director, for catching him yawning during uh, one of your most hyped matches. Oh, I felt so bad. Like, that's just an unlucky take. Like, you're just trying to keep going back to him. And he's just yawning. Oh, no, got to get off that so fast. <laughs> um, so this was another match uh, where the lines were drawn as far as heel and babyface. Lance Archer, obviously a really bad guy. His his manager is, is a bad guy. And Cody is a fighting babyface. Um, I thought the heat that Jake was trying to get, and, and Lance too, I thought it was the worst kind of cheap heat um, picking on Big Swole. Uh, she, I mean, she was firing back as well. She wasn't staying quiet, but call. Uh, I think Jake and Lance called her a bitch. Like, do we, I, I don't know if we needed that at all. Like for this match, I, I don't think um, it was a coincidence that it was an African American woman, considering the sort of the old schoolness uh, uh, of Jake. Not saying he's racist, just that that's how you stoked heat. You know, a lot of times it was just sort of racial stuff like racially um but i thought that was completely unnecessary and it kind of frustrated me and i was just like god you know these these guys can be so forward thinking and we give them credit for that nyla rose is in a big is in a big match here but then when they do stuff like this and you know i don't know who to blame i'm guessing it was jake but just like, un- like unnecessary. And and some people may think that I'm probably uh, taking it a, a little too strongly, but I saw it for what it was, which was cheap heat that was unnecessary. And, and in today's wrestling, especially for this company, you don't need to do stuff like that. Well, I, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was super intentional. It was definitely the mic picked it up and they were, they're trying to build up Archer as like this indomitable force. And, you know, you could even hear him saying like, yeah, Mike Tyson, he can't even beat me and stuff like that. But yeah, uh, I don't know the way they've just been presenting Jake though, as well. Like just his comments pretty much about women in general. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you need that right now. Like Jake himself can cut a promo and get heat anyway, which way needed. But they're just making it seem like Jake Roberts hates women. <laughs> That's something you don't want to present, even though he is supposed to be a heel. But you don't want to have a guy in a big angle with your top baby face make it seem like he just hates women. It, it just seems a little backwards, you know. It seems a little old school. It seems a little cheap. Um, you know, maybe some old school fans it, it like that part of it. I'm just like, eh, it's, 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 it's not working. It's not, it's not, it's like he, he overshadows Lance Archer as it is. And I, I, I would rather him, I would rather Lance be by himself, really. Like no matter how good some of these promos are by Jake, I think Lance is good enough to be on his own. I think he is interesting enough. I think he is violent enough. He doesn't need anyone to cut, you know, five minute soliloquies for him. He, he, he's just a badass in the ring. So I was, I, I, I'm just kind of tired of, of this version of Jake. Um, but the match in of itself, I would say, was solid. It, it wasn't, it couldn't, it couldn't follow the match before it, but it was still good. Um, the, uh, one of the, one of the best moves of the night, and we saw about, 
35 topes. So uh, I'm glad that we didn't see one uh, in this match. Uh, but it was Lance. He d- he did the the rope walk, which Jr. specifically did not mention it as the Undertaker. He called it the John uh, Don Jardine, and th- and that's where Undertaker got it. If you listen to Bill Simmons' interview that he did, he mentions Jardine in that interview, uh, and so he does that the the walking the 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 top rope gets the middle of the rope and does like a moonsault off of the rope with cody holding his arm i thought that was pretty sweet um cody finally gets you know gets his key he got a few comebacks here but uh they they got stalled out by archer um he puts the he puts a cross face on archer which was interesting because i think jungle boy had just done one in the previous match Mm-hmm. And then he has to break it because he's he's so pissed off that he can't he he wants to do something else other than just the crossface. So he uses the um, the threading in Archer's hair to like to to help the crossface. Uh, Jake gets on the apron as as great of a presence as Jake is. Having him interact just I think shows how old he is. And and if you don't if you're gonna have him there. You don't he if he's just doing promos, I don't think he ages himself completely. But when he tr- gets involved, he moves very slow. But he's also so goddamn big and he makes everyone look small. It just I just don't like it when he when he when he got when he interacted with with uh, with the match. Uh, Cody does a DDT right in front of him on Archer. And then uh, he started doing dusty stuff. He hits uh he hits crossroads, he hits a stinger splash, he hits Dustin's uh, spinning suplex. And then um, for some reason, Archer's about to about to walk the top rope again, and then Jake interferes. And I'm still unsure why he was doing that. Uh, this is Arn's cue to, to knock Archer down, and Cody hits... Uh, the reverse suplex from the top rope, which Excalibur called the avalanche something or other. Um, and then uh, the second referee came out, sees Arn, throws Arn out, throws Jake out. And at this point, Mike Tyson, who's just sitting there and who I thought was kind of like the enforcer guy. So was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just send him, send him out. Get out of here. Like, he's just so, so uh, casual. And then... Jake is about to come back with the snake, and that's when Tyson gets fired up, tells him to go back. Then he takes off his shirt, and as the match is going, Mike can't just be shirtless. He's got to throw up the double biceps and pose before going to get his shirt and putting it back on. I thought that was tremendous. And then finally, Cody hits two crossroads to win the match. It was definitely a... um, it was definitely a, a deal for Cody. He, he mentioned before that, you know, he can't win the world title because of the stipulation. And this is the, this, so this is something that he's focusing on. I think it's cool. Cause he's, he is, you know, he's the top baby face, even though he cannot fight for the world title. And I, I think, and I mentioned this to John on Friday, but Cody is dusty and it's coming it's i'm it's pretty clear that he is trying to be dusty which is great in one hand if he can do it but on the other end uh i think it could hurt him a little bit if if uh you know coming back from from taking a beating like he did just the way that the match was booked it was it was it's it's very dusty like 
And um, I, I do wonder if if this kind of babyface in 2020 eventually uh, is it becomes tired. So uh, that's something that I'm going to be watching. I really enjoy Cody. I think he's a, a good wrestler, and uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to watch because, you know, he is the he is booking his own stuff. Dusty was a booker. So I, I really wonder how he's going to be in in a few months here. Yeah, I thought this was good, maybe a couple minutes too long. And the part with Tyson before he you know took his shirt off, I thought was a little odd. But what have you got to get those those bicep flexes, especially <laughs> when you've lost the weight. Uh, but I liked Archer's offense in this one where it was pretty much just like like Bonesaw and Spider-Man just trying to throw people <laughs> out of the ring, which I liked. And you know how AW and I think WWE still have these, but those corner, those turnbuckle post cameras, yeah. this is the, probably the only time in the history where that, that camera was used perfectly when Archer gorilla pressed Cody over his head and he threw him out of the ring. Mm-hmm. And then the camera went right down to this insane looking face that Archer had. I thought that was great. Uh, I mean, you know, the, you build up Archer as a bully and he finally gets it in the end. I like that. And I think, yes, Cody's the most charismatic person on the roster. Your title reign of a new championship uh, for this company. I think it had to go to Cody here because it was like if Cody loses this, he kind of starts to look like a geek in a way. And you don't want that for someone who is, as you said, the top baby face in the company. I think the right guy went over. Um, but I'm still interested in this dynamic between him and Arn because very little Arn except there when he gets kicked out. And it's like, are we going to build toward Cody being like, I don't really need you, Arn. Like, yeah. Coach Arn, I don't need you anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, so uh, two matches back to back that if you take these two matches off of this show, uh, I think it, it is a really, really, really good pay-per-view. But Penelope Ford taking the place of Britt Baker, who was hurt against Chris Statlander. I guess Britt Baker's going to be on Dynamite to talk about her injury. Uh, there, the, there was a, there was a, an interview on this show talking about, uh, I think there was like a slight fracture and there was a, um, one of her ligaments was, uh, I don't, I think it was a slight tear in the ligament too. So she's probably gonna be out for a little bit for sure. And, uh, Penelope Ford and Chris Statlander, not a good match. Um, Penelope is very easy on the eyes. She does a few different flashy things, but there's no really nobody to lead the match in this match. Um, I thought the, the maybe the worst thing, second worst thing to uh, to the stuff with Jake and 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 Big Swole was. Ford hits a hurricane runner from the top rope and Statlander is selling the move and does this like weird bump where she's like, instead of like falling flat as she's falling, she twists so that she lands on her back, I think. And I was just like, oh, like what, like, what are you doing? Like the, this, that was too comical for me, too fake. And, um, 
but she won with her uh her her pile driver like maneuver i forgot i forget what uh excalibur calls it there's he knows all these crazy names for these uh, big bang theory that's what it is and uh, Statlander wins. It wasn't long, so it, it wasn't like we had to sit there for a long time. I just thought the work was not good. I don't think either of them are ready for big matches on a pay-per-view. So I uh, wasn't thinking that it was going to be good, and it was not good. It was tough in a way for Penelope being kind of just thrown in there in the last minute. But my big issue with caring about this match is... They've kind of tried with Chris Statlander, and I think COVID really kind of killed some of his her momentum. But Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian are booked like losers each and every week. <laughs> yeah. So, like, why do I care about this? I know how it's going to go, and it went exactly that way. The only interesting thing I thought in this match was in Chris Statlander's entrance when she uh, booped not only Dan Lambert of American Top Team, but Vitor Belfort in the front row. Yeah, for, I forgot to mention, uh, also Vicky Guerrero was there. Um, so, you know, they had, they had a few people there, you know, they, they kept saying on camera, oh, you know, Jr. was like, oh, I got tested twice and it's like, cool. Like, I'm glad, but you know, we we do know that these tests aren't a hundred percent foolproof. So I worry a little bit about that when they, when they think that they're, they're completely fine, but hopefully they're paying very close attention to lots of other things as well, like how they feel. Um, okay, so the next match, uh, Sean Spears and Dustin Rhodes. I get, like, I guess I may have not understood completely that Dustin got so trashed by Lance Archer that he was going to possibly miss this match. Like, I didn't really understand that until this pay per view started. And so Sean Spears comes out. The, the announcers were saying that Dustin was beat up pretty bad and that they didn't know where he was, they didn't know if he was going to be here. And so Sean Spears is not even in gear. He's just in clothes and, you know, slacks and a, and a coat and a, a, a button. Tony Montana suit. Yeah. And so he uh, then Dustin's music plays and Sean Spears, you know, he laughs because he's the one that that played the music or he, he got it played. And then it plays again. And he's like, no, no, no. I, I only wanted to play it one time. And he wants to be his hand raised to be the winner. And then Brandy comes out. And once Brandy comes out, you're like, okay, Dustin's coming out. Dustin sneaks up behind him. So, you know, the, the baby face sneaks up behind the heel and starts beating him up. He eventually strips uh, Sean Spears down to his underwear, his boxer briefs. And on the crotchal region of his boxer briefs is a photograph of Tully Blanchard taped on it like did there's no explanation like what like he so we're just to assume that Sean Spears puts Tully's face on his junk for his underwear yeah that was this was probably the thing I didn't like the most like man Sean Spears who comes to this company is like supposed to be one of the top guys and is just uh, a couple months later, less than a year later, has his ass out on pay-per-view, like doing a bad Ric Flair impression. Not a good look for his character or anything. Like, I think Sean Spears has been entertaining on Dynamite and, and AEW Dark as of late, but this is a huge hit for his character, and I don't know where you go back from. Like, it's just, it was just bad comedy and bad, just bad all around. Yeah, no, it's going to be a tough one for him uh, to come back from. So we got uh, Sheeta and Nyla Rose. 
no DQ, no countout match. I think people did not know that part. They announced it on Wednesday's Dynamite, and they also uh, they also showed the graphic before this match started. So I think uh, the people who still didn't understand, they must have missed that part. Uh, Nyla Rose comes out with a kendo stick, and Sheeta has nothing. And I'm like, okay, what are you going to do? And she charges at Nyla Rose. I was like, girl, you are crazy. Uh, so uh, she gets the kendo stick, is about to hit Nyla, and Nyla just catches it like between her her, her side and uh, her underarm and, and her arm. And then uh, Nyla starts being the bully, throws her through a table on the outside, and then she turns to the camera, and in her best Wesley Snipes from Passenger 57, says, always bet on black. Uh, Sheeta... Sheeta dumps Nyla over the barricade, and this was great because Sheeta didn't really like try really hard to dump her. Nyla jumps so high to go over this barricade. I thought that was pretty hilarious. Uh, but then, uh, so so those they had these big poker t- poker uh, chip tables, uh, and they're standing upright, but some of them are are laying flat. And so uh, Sheeta busts Nyla in the head on the one that's laying flat. Then she stands her up against the one that is horizontal. And she starts running, uses the one that's laying flat as a ramp and throws a running knee into Nyla, which was a nice, very nice spot in this match. And uh, as the match goes on, every time Sheeta attempts to uh, to get something on Nyla, Nyla counters her with the clothesline or with something strong. Uh, and now she's brought the kendo stick back. Uh, Sheeta gets a two count with which with what Excalibur called the Avalanche Falcon Arrow. I will take his word for it. Uh, and then um, Sheeta hits a running knee, hits Nyla in the kendo stick dead in the head. Then it's another running knee as as Nyla is seated and pins her. For the match that I expected, which I expected this to be pretty average, I was very happy with it. And I thought the stipulations, which a lot of people were down on, I thought it actually enhanced the match and it worked out uh, for the better. And... I thought I thought this was just about as good as they could have possibly done on this show. Yeah, I really like this match. I think it went above expectations. I mean, Hikaru Shida has been probably one of the best women uh, to have grown in this division since the the AW started. Uh, not only has she grown character-wise, she's grown with her ability in the ring, but her learning English, her English has improved so much. And I just thought she was excellent in this match, uh, you know, showing off some some great fire. And I think the stipulations here of it being a no-DQ match really added to her fire, like when she just, you know, took the kendo stick or, you know, using the chips or to elevate to for the flying knee. I think that added a lot. I thought Nyla was great as well in this match. Uh, but, you know, honestly, this was a match that was way better. And I think, honestly, as well, the right girl went over. And then uh, we had our two main events, Brody Lee and John Moxley, and then the stadium stampede. So... 
this match, the title match was, I, th- I, th- I thought, I was like, okay, it's got its work cut out for it because Brody Lee's character is not over. John Moxley is over like crazy, but he's, he's kind of in an uphill battle from an interest standpoint. And so they did a little bit of a different match. I thought maybe there was going to be way more plunder and way more like of a hardcore match. And it was just a strong match. They did they did go to the outside for sure, uh, but the match really kind of starts. I, I I guess it hit its peak when uh, Moxley gives Brody Lee his DDT on the ramp, and it breaks the ramp, and the guys go through the ramp. And when they come up, John Moxley comes up, Brody Lee comes up, Brody Lee's bleeding. And so that is to say he definitely took uh, took some punishment there to get cut up. Uh, Moxie gives him another DDT inside the ring and Lee kicks out right at one. So he's still he still got something left. Then he gives him another one and Lee kicks out at two. So here Moxie's like, well, my finish, even after he went through the uh, the, the stage there, is not good enough to beat this guy. So I got to think of a different way. And he puts on this side choke that uh, he turns into uh, a bulldog, a bulldog choke. choke. Yeah. And he lay, sits back on it and uh, Brody Lee taps out. So completely surprised with the finish. Like I didn't expect it to be like that, but I was thinking like, how are they going to beat Brody Lee here to where he doesn't lose a ton? And I think he did lose a little bit, but that's partially because this, the dark order isn't over. And so, um, but I thought he, I thought he was strong at the end as much as possible with, uh, with, with getting beat. I totally agree because he didn't tap out. He didn't get pinned. He passed out because of this sick bulldog choke that we haven't seen since Matt Hughes hit it on Ricardo Almeida back in the late two thousands in the UFC. But honestly, this was just a good old-fashioned fight between two guys that aren't known to have those styles. There was plunder. There was a ECW tribute with the uh, move towards the end where they went through the, the the stage. But honestly, this was just really good and much better than I anticipated. All right, now we have the main event, which we've been saving for last because it was the wackiest most entertaining goofball kind of match you could ever have. There was no semblance of a wrestling match. There was maybe like three minutes inside the ring. I have no idea why they even had a ring there because they, you know, it would have been disappointing if the match just happened in the ring because they're fighting all over the stadium. Uh, They had the Jacksonville Jaguar cheerleaders there. The inner circle came out wearing football jerseys and some numbers on their back. I was trying to figure out what all the numbers were. Jericho was wearing number 27. I'm guessing that's how long he's been in the wrestling business, maybe? It was a tribute to his dad for when he was in the NHL. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. That makes sense. Uh, Sammy Guevara was 93 because that's the year he was born. Yep. Uh, Uh, Santana and Ortiz were 51 and 50 because... You know, that's what every 5150. Uh, yeah, every Puerto Rican team has <laughs> been for since LAX was. And uh, Jake Hager was 72 because that was his number when he played at Oklahoma State. Okay. 
Interestingly, the heels came out with football jerseys and the baby faces just came out in their regular gear. I, I would have thought it would have been flipped the other way around, but I actually liked it that way because it was it was kind of uh, it, was, it, it added to the entertainment. Um, so then um, it starts out like it starts out like uh, like a war, like they just they just rush at each other and that's uh, they have stuff. They have trash cans, I think. Kenny Omega has uh, has the broom, and then at some point Adam Page comes out on a horse, and he just goes looking for Sammy Guevara, uh, who did some stuff. Uh, uh, actually, he, so he was he was on the um, on the field, and and Adam Page starts galloping with the horse. The horse is galloping. He's riding the horse, and Sammy just starts running. And so I thought that was like the the throwback to when uh, when the golf cart was chasing him. But we also had a callback to that spot as well. So it wasn't the only time that Sammy was running. Sammy um, Sammy runs out. And he he's inside the inside the stadium somehow. And so Adam Page with his horse. I don't know how the horse got like all the way into the into the building where it was. But he goes looking for Sammy. Sammy, by this time, is outside of uh, his back near the ring because he's doing like shooting star presses and missing them and then doing one to the outside. And Adam Coles just keeps looking for him like, dude, he's not there anymore. Like, you're the worst at this. But then he finds a bar. And so he goes and hangs out at the bar. So um, Jericho gets covered for a pin on the field. And this is when I realized I was like, okay, like this stuff can happen on the field. It doesn't have to happen in the ring. So why is there even a ring? And thankfully they moved away from the ring and they just fought all over the field and the football stadium. They started fighting in the stands. Um, Santana and Ortiz powerbomb Omega on a table, like in the stands, they throw Matt Hardy into a pool so Hardy's underwater and he transforms from the character that he was, I guess, Broken Matt or what is his uh, what is the other name for the the character that he plays? Oh, I forget. Dam- it, Damascus. It, it, Damascus. Yeah, the 3000 year old man. So then uh, so then he goes under the water. He comes back up and then he is the WWE version of Matt Hardy. Then he goes under again and he comes back up and he's Matt Hardy V1. And then he, go, he goes back down, comes back up, and he's broken Matt Hardy doing the delete. And um, he tapes Ortiz to a wheelchair, and then he puts Santana in the icebox and locks him in. So those guys, done. They're, they're not in the match anymore, and it becomes a five-on-three. And I, I don't know. Did anyone find Santana? Is he still in the icebox? Uh, did you see Santana's Instagram post of uh, one of the dudes in Goodfellas that was frozen? Yeah, uh, I thought that was a pretty good post. So then Hager finds Paige at the bar, kind of look at each other, and Hager's like, are we going to drink or are we going to fight? They both take a shot. After they take their shot, they start fighting. Hager chokeslams Paige on a pool table. Then Omega joins and uh, they start to hit Hager with the bottles of the bubbly. And then they do a uh, Omega bends down to help Paige springboard so that he could do the buckshot lariat on Hager and sends Hager over the bar. And then they do a cheers. But o- Omega has milk instead of uh, instead of the whiskey. 
So now we're back on the field. Matt and Sammy are are doing like some some wrestling on on the on the field, and then Matt starts giving him his Northern Light suplexes. Uh, the series of he usually does a series of three, and I'm thinking like, gosh, this guy's got jacked up ribs. This cannot be easy. So then you know, he does the three. Then they cut away. And it's uh, Nick Jackson and Chris Jericho. And uh, Jericho goes to pin Nick, only gets a two count, throws the red flag, wants to go for a replay. Aubrey Edwards is like, what are you talking about? So she goes in the blue tent, which that's for concussions. That's not for the replay. What are you guys doing? <laughs> um, and, and then they cut back to Matt, and he's still giving Sammy Northern Light suplexes. He's gone halfway across the field to the 50-yard line. So then um, Nick and Jericho keep doing their thing. Nick does this big splash through a table uh, on Jericho. Uh, at some point, I think it was before this, Jericho hits the, uh, hits the mascot uh, with the Jackson elbow. Field. Yeah. And, then, uh, and, and so then... Jericho's down. He's just got nailed through this table. Paige has the 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 machine that chalks the field, and so he's chalking the field, and he goes right over Jericho. So Jericho's got this white line over him. Uh, Sammy Guevara hears a motor. He turns. It is uh, Matt, or it is uh, Matt Hardy and Kenny Omega. They're in the golf cart, and they chase him again. He this time he gets away though. He does not get clipped by this cart. He goes into the stands, they go and they catch him, and Omega gives him the one-winged angel from like 15 feet up through was like some crash pad, was like cardboard or something, and he pins Guevara. I read the whole thing that I wrote, and there was so many things that I missed because they were moving so fast, but what, uh, what were your thoughts and then... Out of the things that I missed, uh, what did you remember? I thought this was great. Honestly, this was just was just fantastic. Like, there's one thing when a promotion or people say, uh, you know, this is going to be really uh, interesting or really good, and then they exceed those expectations. I thought this was done so well with the multi men in the match. You couldn't get bored with it. Like, it was a 10 times better version of the Money in the Bank match that WWE did. Little less comedy, and the things that were funny were were unintentionally funny. They were, they were just funny because of how they work out. Uh, I mean, as you said, uh, I think Sammy Guevara was, once again, a star in this, whether he's running away from horses, running away from golf carts, uh, just being a great actor. Uh, I thought they missed a line that they could have used when uh, Jericho hit Jackson DeVille. I thought they could have definitely said, because he's a Winnipeg blue bomber. Because, <laughs> I mean, I thought that would have, could have been a good line. I loved the scene, or the, yeah, the scene you can call it, with uh, Paige and Swagger, not Swagger, Hager, and uh, Kenny Omega in the bar. I thought that was great uh, for this pay-per-view. It's, and it, it took me, like, to a scene right out of Roadhouse. And I just thought it was fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's just too many spots to mention. The Matt Hardy stuff I thought was tremendous. The and then uh, yeah, the, the the beer the beer thing. Uh, Hager like throws the comical the comical spot in, in a bar scene in a bar fight scene where he throws Paige and Paige slides on the bar, knocks all the stuff down like that. That was done, but Hager had to utilize his strength to do it because he had to drag Paige through it. But yeah, just a fun match, you know. 
with the empty arena stuff, WWE was on this from day one with WrestleMania doing the Boneyard match and doing the Firehouse Fun Fly. Uh, what Firehouse Fun Fly? What what is it called? Firehouse Fire Fly Firefly Fun House match. Yes. And so you know they they were uh, they 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 were ahead of that. Not that they were the first person to do it, but they understood that. You know, when we're doing this empty arena stuff, we're going to have to get creative. And then the money in the bank, which you and I talked about. I didn't hate it. I, I just thought it could have been a lot better. But this was so much different. If, you know, if you push comes to shove Boneyard or this match, you know, either or I th- I thought they were both great for what they were. But this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you have to do because when you're in the empty arena, you can only do the same match so many times and it just feels so repetitive and so i I really i really think you know they thought out of the box here the some some people will hate those matt hardy spots some people will really love them i thought they were funny and that's all i needed to get out of that i I like the sense of humor in in a lot of this whereas uh in the money in the bank i didn't really get the sense of humor as much maybe it's just my taste as to why i liked a lot of the 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 inside humor stuff here better but um Overall, you know, I that they they really hit it out of the park with this match, and it was just uh, it was just a, a great thing to end this show. Because, like I said, I thought I was about I was a kind of a thumbs in the middle, slightly thumbs up. But at the end of this match, it was a clear thumbs up pay per view to me. Yeah, I, I gave it a full thumbs up. I'd go I, if I had to go and add a ten. I went eight and a half out of ten. I thought the the beginning of the show was really solid, uh, especially that MJF uh, Jungle Boy match, and then your last three matches really i thought really delivered and then some yeah so okay so um before i let you go i wanted to ask you about some of the ufc news that came out uh ryan frederick for f4w online he also writes for fight game media he writes a a, a column uh on mondays uh, after ufc shows so there i don't think there's going to be one this week because there's really nothing nothing happened this week in in uh, mma but he wrote a post um, about UFC 250 is going to be on Saturday, June 6th. Amanda Nunez and Felicia Spencer. And it looks like uh, Cody Garbrandt and Rafael Asuncao is also official for that show. Uh, that is going to be the next pay-per-view. And based on the pay-per-view that we saw at 249, I would say that that is uh, a bit of a disappointment, though. It does seem like it is hard for um, Dana to make some of these fights. And also, I think, uh, you know, he also has Fight Island coming up. So he's he's probably really thinking about Fight Island and, and, and making the matches there. So what do you think about 250? And also there's a there's another show uh, next Saturday. So uh, from from when this is recorded a week from today, headlined by uh Woodley and Gilbert. What are your thoughts on the next two shows? I think the next show, which is they're still hoping to have at the Apex in Las Vegas, all depending on what the Nevada State Athletic Commission will do, as they have a, a meeting on the 27th of May, and then this show is supposed to be on the 30th. So that's a quick turnaround. If not, then they'll have to go to Phoenix or Arizona, is what Dana said. Uh, I think next Saturday's show is really good. Uh, Gilbert Burns gets his biggest uh, test uh, to date in the UFC against the former welterweight champion Tyron Woodley. 
Um, but the biggest thing for me on that card is uh, Kevin Holland going down a weight class and fighting two weeks uh, after fighting on the Wednesday card. Uh, I'm really impressed with that. I think that's going to be a fun show. I think as well having the one-week breaks kind of nice. But is 250 really worth like $65? Probably not. If you're not a super hardcore MMA fan, you're not going to buy it. I think Nunez versus Spencer is interesting in some way, though. I just see Amanda right now just running right through her. Nothing super special, but July being Fight Island and all of the rest of June as well with cards coming on up, uh, especially uh, what's going to happen with July basically being what they're planning to be Fight Island uh, with a lot of international fights and a lot of big names will probably be on there because they can't get into the States. They can only find their way onto this island, wherever it may be. So... I don't know. I, I don't think 250 if you if you don't want to spend the money, you don't have to. I don't think you'll miss much. Uh, I think your free Fight Night card will be a lot better, but there's still a lot more good content coming from the UFC. All right, I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate you coming on after this pay-per-view. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media? If you want to follow me on social media, that on Twitter, that's... Uh, at the letter J, Hagholm, H-A-G-H-O-L-M, and the number one. And on Instagram, it's just J Hagholm on Instagram. All right. Uh, appreciate you, and uh, we will talk again soon, I am sure. Yes. Yes, we will. Uh, I mean, it's crazy that with not a lot really going on, a lot is going on <laughs> in the realm of combat sports. Absolutely. We are in week three, and I think we're just going to do four weeks. Sometimes we do three weeks of We Want Flair. I think we're going to do four weeks here so that we can talk about the Clash of the Champions match, which I teased last week as the highest uh, or the most viewed cable match in wrestling history up to that point, though it wasn't the highest rated because there are more people watching or more people who have cable at this time than uh you know 1985 where hogan and piper do a 9.1 rating for that show but um very successful very successful show as far as building uh the the match or or building building the pay-per-view for hollowing havoc between these two guys so the story of this show is that Mean Gene is ready to do an interview with Hulk Hogan, and before he can actually get out to Mean Gene, he gets hit in the back of the knee with... He gets Nancy kerrigan uh, but by the pipe, by the... Uh, not the Black Scorpion, but the guy in the mask and in the black bodysuit. Whoever, whoever that person was, I think on this show, was it Arn at the end? Looks like Arn to me. I think it was Arn, because he threw like left hands, too. Yeah, and just the this, this body, the body type. So, in reading some of the old observers, I think they wanted this to be Henning. Yep. And he couldn't, he was, he was stuck because he had the Lloyds of London thing, right? I believe so. I do know Bobby Heaney teased it on the show, though. He said uh, that guy did that perfectly. <laughs> Bobby Heenan also said in this match that it looked like Hogan was faking his injury, which 
I don't think he meant it, but there were some moments where Hogan definitely forgot he was supposed to sell a knee, but that, that, that was part of the match. Um, okay. So, so Hogan just gets, just gets clobbered. He goes down. He is holding the back of his knee. There are lots of chaos out there. It looks serious. The whole thing is done. Hogan is so great at getting sympathy. He he's fantastic at it. They put the knee in a brace. They uh, they take him away. They put him in the ambulance, and he's going to go to the hospital. So that's the beginning of this whole thing. You know, right after the first match, I think so. You know, there's a whole show-long storyline of Hogan. Uh, Hogan, what, is he gonna is he gonna wrestle or not? And if he doesn't wrestle, he will forfeit the title to Flair, but he will be the number one contender immediately and get a rematch when he's healthy. And Rick himself says he wants Hogan to come back, but to hand him the belt since yeah. he won't be able to wrestle. Yeah, no, I thought this. You know, this is just a, a remake of uh, Sting and Rick Rude from Class Champions, November of 91. Oh, yeah. So, but actually, I think it was all better executed because, you know, Sting came back rather quickly. Uh, he came back, in, you know, in the middle of that Class of Champions. This was a longer, you know, tease until the main event. So, I and I thought the, the chaos around Hogan after he got his leg hit by the pipe was really well done. Um, you know, everyone checking on him. You had all the agents coming out. All these people, I didn't know who they were, were checking on him. Um, just, uh, it was chaotic. And I thought they did a, I thought they did a really good job of the execution of this, this angle. Um, the match itself. So they're, they, they do another segment where Bischoff is at the hospital. He's trying to get answers. They do a, 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 th- a third one where Brother Brutai and uh, Jimmy Hart are there, and they talk about how Hogan still wants to wrestle. Uh, they don't want him to wrestle. They're worried about his health, but he's determined to get back to the building and finally do the match. Flair's in the ring, and Hogan comes out limping, doing a really good job of, of uh, selling the injury. And I was sort of joking about him that there were times in, in his comeback where, you know, he fires up cause he's got to do the Hogan thing. And then after he does the Hogan thing, then he, you know, then he limps again after, but the match was really designed. <laughs> like you would think that, um, because of how, because of the finish, which is Hogan loses, uh, via count out that he doesn't have to have as many Superman comebacks as he does because we'll actually Rick, you know, we, we talked about this last week. Rick is so giving and Rick is so giving to the point of where he, uh, kind of ruined his finisher because Hogan is, it has the bad leg and Rick has him in, in the figure four for quite a long time. And Hogan, you know, fighting it, fighting it, and then breaks it. Um, they, they do the thing in the end where, where Sherry does, does clobber Hogan and he gets counted out. But I just thought that watching this was like, okay, we know what the finish is, which is Hogan is not going to pin Flair, which is great because he just pinned him at Bash of the Beach. But if we knew we were getting a count out, um, why did Hogan get so many comebacks? Like the crowd was into it for sure. But if the story is that, he, you know, we need to set up this match for Halloween Havoc. We just saw Ric Flair like take 
so many beatings in in one match that uh, I kind of wonder, like, do we need to see him wrestle again? Because he just keeps getting his butt kicked here. And and Hogan, he did everything to Hogan, including Sherry. And, and, you know, you could not turn this guy back. And this guy's the champion anyway. So it was an interesting way to set up a third match between the two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I really liked this match. I thought it was really good. A lot better than I remember, remember it being. Um, you know, Hogan non-selling knee sometimes. You know, it's just like it was when he fired up. So it was like that adrenaline rush. So I thought that was really well done. Um, I loved when he, he uh, went for the big boot and he connected the big boot, but then crumbles after mm-hmm. he hit the big boot. Mm-hmm. Like that, that stuff was, was really, really good. Of course, missing the leg drop and selling the leg, um, all that stuff. Really well done. Hogan's a really good worker. He, um, people usually won't say that, but I mean, if you really look, if you're really looking at his work, I mean, he's, he's really, he's really, really good. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit too many comebacks, but you know, that's, that's Hogan, right? I mean, you know, he's supposed to be this unstoppable force and, you know, that's kind of his, his character. So I know, I know Flair had him in the figure four, which, you know, unfortunately Flair is, this is not just Hogan. This is Flair not not beating people with his figure four. (laughs) I, I agree, except we didn't just go through Hogan tearing all three ligaments in his knee before the match started. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that's the, if they didn't do that, like if they just did, you know, if they, if they just did a smaller injury, I think I'd have been fine with it, but you know, it was a big drama thing and it was, it was a big angle. Like I have no problem with the angle. I just was like, I was trying to think of like, okay, if, if, if uh, it would, it would sort of feels like, and, and I, I don't know if you, if you felt this way, if you remember watching it live, it uh, it almost felt like Hogan was going to win the thing and Flair was leaving the territory. Like, that's kind of what it felt like even before the stipulation. Like, okay, like Rick's just on his way down and, and Hogan is mm-hmm. going to go through him. Like, that's kind of how it felt. And that's probably just the price of business uh, of wrestling Hogan because... You know, you, you're not going to get everything because he's Hogan. And so you're going to do your two or three match thing and then move on like that. That's how it historically worked with him was he's, you know, go around the around the the U.S. with the heel a couple times. And then that heel goes back down the pecking order like it happened to every single person that he faced Except, you know, maybe Savage because he had the Intercontinental title, so he never really had to go down. But, you know, think about all the guys he faced, Bundy and Kamala and Killer Khan and all these guys, John Studd. You know, after they they, they wrestle Hogan, then they're kind of, you know, that that's the top. So you got to go on your way down. So that's what it felt here with Flair, which is a little bit, it was a little frustrating for me. I remember, you know, even though I was, I'm, I'm a big Hogan guy, even when, even back then in, in 94. And, and look, I'm not watching as intently as I was just two years earlier. But it, it, what it felt like was um, Hogan is not only coming into Ric Flair's house, he is eating his potato chips and he's not taking his shoes off and he's got muddy shoes and he's wiping it on the carpet and Rick can do nothing about it. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, again, the price of doing business. Hogan, they're paying him $300,000 a show to wrestle. And he is, he, you know, he's the guy. He's 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 the guy that actually does their two best pay per views uh, of uh, at this point 
in 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 back to back month or not back to back because there's a fall brawl in between. But like he's mm-hmm. he's the guy, and so it's a little bit of a changing of the guard. And if you're a Flair fan, I I could see how it would be frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a little frustrated too with this match. I remember because I was a Flair guy, and but um, looking at this match, I thought the match was great. I think uh, you know Hogan in the figure four is surviving it. Uh, I probably wouldn't have him reverse it. I think that was a little bit much. I think they could have compromised where like Hogan grabbed the rope to escape. I think that could have been a, a little better there. But uh, but yeah, it is the price of business of Hogan. He's going to, he is, um, but Flair know what he's doing too, right? Flair's one of the people that brought him in and, and you know, he, you know, he's there, making there, good money. There, there is a savviness to, to, to Rick that, which I will explain in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they go and they do a European tour, which is a bit of a disappointment. Hogan's, you know, beaten Flair in Europe. Uh, they they didn't do great business, and th- Hogan is not selling the leg because the TV, the Clash, has not uh, been has has not uh, been broadcast yet uh, where they're wrestling. So he's the, the injury hasn't happened yet. Um, so fall brawl happens in between bash at the beach and clash and then the halloween havoc there is another pay-per-view where they do war games and also they do uh ricky the dragon steamboat had just beat austin for the u.s title in the match ricky gets injured so he is not going to face austin at fall brawl in the rematch so instead None other than Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes in and, and beats Austin and uh, wins the U.S. title. This is the Hulk Hogan uh, friends uh, coming in. And, and this this you'll see some more of this uh, uh, when we're done with the Halloween Havoc match. Um, then uh, all of a sudden, the uh, Hogan and Flair match, the way that they are trying to sell this match is not only... Will it be a cage match? Not only will Mr. T be involved, but it is a loser must retire match. And so uh, in Ric Flair's book, he talks about how the stipulation came to be and what we're actually going to get Rick himself to read the part of the book that uh, that I wanted to be quoted here. So, get, give me a second here. We're gonna get Rick's version of what happened on. At a television taping in Atlanta, Bischoff and Hogan called me aside to give me some stunning news. Zane Breslov, the promoter in charge of booking arenas for WCW, had reported that Halloween Havoc tickets weren't moving. What did you expect? I told him. Yet somehow they couldn't understand why people weren't lining up to watch Hogan beat me again. Hoping to electrify the buying public, they proposed a new idea. I would put up my career against Hogan's and lose. I went home and thought about the stipulation. Then I contacted Eric. Here's the deal. I said, I'm willing to lose, but I'm not ready to retire. You won't, he promised. You'll be out for at least a year just to make it look legit, but you'll work in the office. Then we'll bring you back. 
I was a little worried I'd been with the company for about a year and my contract hadn't been extended. Everyone told me that it would happen very soon, but I didn't have anything on paper, and I knew why. Dr. Harvey Schiller was about to come in and take over Turner Sports. Eric didn't want to incur any major expenses and make himself a target for his new boss. All well and good, but what about me? With all the turbulence behind the scenes, what if Eric, what if Eric Bischoff got fired and no one remembered that I was supposed to return? Later on, I was accused of holding the company up because I refused to lose the retirement match until I had a contract. But I needed to know that I still had a job. And so I stood my ground to the very end until Bill Shaw arrived at Halloween Havoc with my contract in his hand. I looked it over, signed my name, went out, and lost to Hogan in the cage. Um, so, so thanks, thanks to Rick for, for reading that piece. So, you know, Flair, uh, he kind of sees the writing on the wall and he's like, you know, okay, this is what you want to do. Fine. I'm, I'm good enough to do it essentially. Right. Like I, I, if I need to step away, I can come back. I'll use it to my advantage at fall brawl based on the results. You'd think that they are leading up to Hogan and Vader at Starcade. In one of the observers, Big Dave Meltzer says that the original, original idea was Hogan Sting. And I, I was like, how do you even do that? Babyface versus babyface. Do you turn Sting or do you have it like Warrior Hogan, WrestleMania 6, babyface versus babyface? That's what I thought they were going to do. You know, I thought they would eventually do... I never thought Sting would go over go heel. So I always thought that they could do like... Hogan versus Sting, just like they did Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. So the stipulation of the uh, loser must retire wasn't added until after tickets went on sale. And actually, the advanced ticket sales were like the best uh, the the best they they'd done in in like a single day. So even before the stip was added, like people were hot for for in Detroit for this match. Then the stip was added, and and I think ticket sales definitely slowed down. I don't know if that's the reason or not, but uh, you know, they, I think they only had like maybe they had like eight or nine thousand sold, which is good for them at that time. But uh, but you know, they, I'm sure they thought they're going to sell a little bit more. But what were your thoughts on on the stipulation? Because you know, you were smart enough at that point to know that Hogan was not the only way Hogan was was losing this match is if he and WCW didn't come to agreement and I didn't think that was going to happen I knew I was like oh man like you know what what's WW, WCW going to look like where it's Hogan and no Flair like what's going on oh I thought Ric Flair was getting the belt back and once I heard the retirement step like oh he's not going to retire right he's never going to retire he's not retired at this point this is a way to with the cage match some some shenanigans going to happen he's going to end up He's going to end up uh, uh, winning it. I thought maybe that the person in the black mask, whoever that was going to end up being, would cost Hogan the belt, and then Flair would regain it, and then you can kind of you know, go back to that. Later on, Hogan can have a big grudge with whoever cost him the title. But he, goes and do, he goes and does six months of Thunder in Paradise before he comes back. Yeah, so it, it's... it's <laughs> 
It was uh, that's I mean, as as I just thought that you know O'Flair's gonna get his belt back. I think you know he always kind of gets it back, right? So 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 I do wonder if what Rick was thinking was if he doesn't. So so this is kind of like when when Sting won the title in '90. Uh, what and you even said this? I think uh, maybe it's the last show or, or or one of the previous ones that we've done. But you said, "What is Ric Flair in the mid card like? That how do you how do you even think of doing that?" And so I, what I wonder is is if Rick was like, you know what? I'll, I'll I'd rather take the time off than be in the mid card. I'm booking anyways. I, I'll, you know, I don't have to worry about that part, booking myself in the main event or trying to get myself into the main event. So I do wonder if, if he thought that. And also from Hogan's standpoint, if you're Hogan, is your power play that the sooner you get Flair out of there, maybe you stop getting booed in some of the in some of like the the mainstay WCW towns and like where you do a lot of the business because you know he he did he he's he's getting cheered in that bash at the beach match and he's getting cheered here at, at the clash as well but from what I understand like there were other places where they were not having it with him when it was he and Flair so I do wonder if some of that was like okay if we get Flair out of the picture a little bit then you know then then maybe I I'm I'm not going to get booed in in some of these towns. Yeah, I, I like the idea of just, you know, using using this for Flair to be off TV during this Hogan run. He can be Hogan's involved in other stuff. Instead, like I said, you know, Flair and the mid-cards are, mid-cards are a weird, weird thing. So he could be out for a year, but probably I would do less than that. You, know, you could always do a way to bring him back, right? And then kind of freshen him up when he does return. Like, that's what I would do. That's how I would see it. And... That's how I would have, you know, pitched a flare. I mean, and of course, you know, his contract stuff and all that kind of stuff, he, you know, he took care of himself there. But, you know, if say he didn't have that, say he had like a, a longer deal in place and, you know, I would, that's how I pitched him. Like, you know, we can, you, if you do this, we can, we can, you'll refresh when you come back and you definitely are coming back. And in the meantime, you're still getting paid and you're also, you know, not uh, doing tours and you're, you're helping with creative and, you know, to me, I think it'd been a good thing for him. But you know, Flair as a performer, the way his mindset is, like he feels he needs to be out there all the time. So I'm sure it was, it was definitely hard for him to uh, be. You know, it's hard for him to be on the sidelines for a long period of time. And like you alluded to, Flair uses his leverage of doing the job and and uh, you know losing the the loser leave lose, loser retires match to get his contract extended through i think it's like early 97 so he's like you know i i don't have to show up i don't have to i've done this before you know i've gone to vince before so uh so he uses the leverage to uh to get a, a new contract or at least a contract extended at whatever he was making you know the other thing about this and and it and it's not really a big deal because they are kind of um slowly getting Jesse out of there anyways, but right around this time, he's gone. And you remember just two years prior, he was a big part of, you know, getting some Vince guys over over here. But now you have uh, Hogan and, and you have Bobby and you have Mean Gene 
Mm, maybe you don't need Jesse, and it's not like Jesse and Hogan were were buddies either. So uh, I, I always thought that was an interesting thing about Hogan coming over, and uh, and you know he he overshadows so much, and even here, Jesse, who's you know one of the the greatest uh, color comment uh, color guides of all time, he just kind of silently goes in the night. No one even realizes. Yeah, I think his last show was like a worldwide or something or a pro or something, something just not memorable. But I also think Jesse too was a little, wasn't he a little difficult to work with a lot of people? You know, he's a stronger personality, kind of rub people the wrong way. I know Jim Ross had, you know, times with him that weren't smooth, but I know Chuck Ross is gone at this time, but, um, you know, I don't think Bischoff had a, a great relationship with him. Are they, well, there, are, there's a, a couple of other things is, you know, he's brought in by a, a previous regime but also he's got leverage and he worked things into his deal. Like if they were going to, uh, I think there was some provision in his contract where if they needed to change a date that he worked, they needed to do it like a week before because he had other things that he was doing that he would have to adjust in his schedule. And one of the times that it happened, they, they, they only gave him like six days instead of seven days and he couldn't do it or whatever. So that, that also was, was a little bit of the reason that, you know, if you don't have workability, then, then, then that's going to be hard. And and when you have Bobby the Brain Heenan in, like you don't need Jesse either, yep. though Heenan is hurting at this time. He's, you know, he's, his neck is really messed up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he soon gets, his, he soon gets his neck surgery after this, right? Cause now he has insurance and the, it might be, yeah, it might be right before Halloween Havoc actually. Yeah. Uh, okay. So on the next, uh, our, our last segment for, for this match. And, and I kind of, I mentioned the sting thing at sting and flair, and that's going to be our, our last one for the year for June. Our last, we want flair before we move over to just reviewing uh WCW Saturday night from 92, for this year, though, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we, we will think about bringing back uh, We Want Flair for 2021. So uh, for next week, our, our, our last segment will be um, the match, the Halloween Havoc match, and, and kind of the, the angle at the end, which I don't know about you, but even when it happened, I was like, oh, this is like the worst thing that they could have done. Uh, and just not giving flair a great farewell. Like he just kind of leaves. <laughs> um, I thought that was kind of a bummer. And then, you know, it just becomes Hogan and friends really uh, doing Hogan, doing stuff that he knows that he's good at and he's comfortable with and he, that he thinks draws. So that's kind of uh, how that match ends before we head to Starcade. So, uh, but we'll talk about that next week. We'll go over the whole, the whole match and then the, uh, the aftermath of it all for our next, uh, our, our fourth segment for, for this, for this, we want flair. All right. I want to thank Jason. I want to thank John. Uh, I am double G. We will see you when we see you hint, hint Friday night. Peace out.